Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. Now, creative industries, they're changing all the time. And at Murdoch University School of Arts, you can study a degree that'll keep up with the fast pace of modern media. It's designed in consultation with industry and business. And the new Bachelor of Creative Media allows you to specialize in sound, graphic design, screen production, photography, or games, art, and design. One of our favorites. Who knows? You might end up like a guest on the show, like Matthew Sear and Jack Jem from Artisans Game who joined us from on episode 78 and he studied they studied here right at Murdoch fantastic you can build your portfolio and showcase your creative potential and learn some cross-disciplinary skills that the modern work- workforce needs apply for Murdoch's Bachelor of Creative Media now you can search for Murdoch University and head to the website for more information and Murdoch University School of Arts is proudly supporting Pixel Sift Hello, and thank you for joining us on Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni, and today we're back in the studio. And Scott, who feels like he's been away for a long time, is here. Yes. Hello, hello. It's good to be back, I guess. You've been here all the time. I've been here the whole time, He just has been hanging out in the background. Uh, We've also got Mitch, but he's probably furiously staring at the stream controls, trying to make them all work. Um, He's there. He's there. But joining us as well, over the the magic of the internet, we've got Michael Chu, who's joining us from Shadow Play Studios. Michael, thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to talking all about your game, Projection. Hey there. Glad to be here. We'll be learning all about that. But what else are we uh, coming up with in the show today, Scott? Uh, We'll also be taking a look at our own gaming skills as journalists. Should we be expected to be good at them before we start talking about them? Good question. Good question. Let's jump in, shall we? Pixel Sift. (laughs) Pixel Sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. (laughs) No, seriously. Pixel Sift. So, the gaming skill of journalists was called into question last month when a video was was released of GameBeat's lead writer, Dean Takahashi, fumbling his way through the yet-to-be-released Cuphead. Uh, And he's been copying a lot of flack online for it ever since. And obviously, it's something very close to us because we'd like to think we're somewhat of journalists doing this sort of thing. I don't know. We spent a lot of time trying to get the uh, studio Uh, working today, but we'll we'll see how we go. It's all out of the bag. Yeah. But yeah, the question is, do 
journalists need to be good at games. It's an interesting one, and I think for for me, it seems to be that this has been uh, one of these kind of recurring conversations yeah. that we've had uh, about people who play games, and that there's a certain characteristic that gamers have to be. And it for me, it feels a lot like a bit like gatekeeping. Keeping when we talk about people who are, you know, you've got to be good at games to play them. You've got to play the specific time, otherwise you're a casual gamer, or, or any of these sort of conversations, or. People talk about, you know, fake geek girls and stuff like that and saying that if you play in a different way that's outside of this particular subset, then you don't fit into the category and you shouldn't be playing games at all. Which is all sorts of wrong. It's very elitist and a very anti-community, you know, to say if you're doing something differently to how we do it, then you're not doing it properly. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to jump in as well with this. It it sounds like um, it's an recurring idea that keeps coming up, like about games journalism. We've Mm. seen this before. Um, And it really kind of depends who the audience is as well, in my opinion. It's it's not just um, who, like, whether game journalists in general should be uh, good or bad, because I can imagine there's a lot of journalists who um, make a a living off not knowing how to play the game. And that's how they market themselves as well. And that's because they understand their audience. Um, so the audience really does also play a big part in this and it's setting up expectations, I think, uh, especially as well um, in this case um, with Cuphead. Uh, it, like he's got a, his own following. And when I when I saw it for the first time, it, it, it wasn't like, um, oh, he's bad at the game. It's it's uh, like well, he, he admits it to himself. Um but it's what you take from back from this. Sure. And, uh, like, to be fair, Cuphead looks like a really hard game. <laughs> it is. I did get a chance to play it. It is super hard. Yeah, see? Like, uh, the thing... I have an interesting question. For developers, for a developer, as yourself, Michael, um, do developers need to be good at games to create games? Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, what kind of games are we talking well, about? Well, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, it, it was the same kind of question. It's more of just a uh, kind of rhetorical question. Is that like yeah. you know, to be a part of the community? You don't necessarily need to excel at it. I don't think uh, in aspects that aren't your thing. Yeah. You know, like a developer doesn't have to be amazing at playing games because they bloody make them. Yeah. We don't have to be yeah. great at, at making games because we talk about them. It's an an interesting uh, scenario because um, when when we talk about being good at a game, um, it there's an implication that. Uh, a game is something that you have to progress through. That's something that you've got to achieve, which is not the case really anymore. Yeah. Um, games are about so much more. Um, it doesn't have to be about winning the game. Um, a lot more. A lot more of the time, it's about the experience. I look at something like Abzu, um, which is a lot more of a meditation game, just uh, enjoying watching like an aquarium sort of situation. Uh, and it, even that question is like, can you be good at Abzu or, or like bad? at abzu and so that comes into question as well like uh you can't you can't like say that you're going to be good at this genre um even the idea of genres is being broken down uh and so when we come into creating a game it's more about um the experience that you want to deliver and whether you're good or bad at it what's important is whether that experience was translated across um and whether this is what um, like this is what the uh, developer intended and whether that's what the player got in return um, and how successful that was translated. And it doesn't matter if they took, you know, half an hour to an hour um, to someone else who took like four hours um, because I saw Monument Valley. Um, some people breeze through the puzzles, um, but some people take two hours. But in the end, they both got the same experience, right? Um, and that's what's important. 
Yeah. yeah, they couldn't have said it better. I think it's really interesting. Like exactly, the game that popped into my head is that you know no one is going to be the world's best at Journey uh, or something like that on the PlayStation Four because it's just a it's not the type of game that it has to be. Well, like Michael said, it's an experience, and yeah. a lot of games are these days. You know, um, go. On. Yeah, it's exa- yeah. exactly right. And I think what you said at the beginning, Michael, was really uh, an important point, is that the audience for someone who, who reads, because T- Dean Takahashi writes for uh, VentureBeat, um, which is sort of a sort of business-focused audience. It's for uh, a different type of, of uh, player or even people who are interested in the gaming industry to the people who uh, kind of were looking at this video and saying this person wasn't particularly good at it. And as you said, he made a kind of a point of saying, oh, you know, look at me kind of embarrass myself for the yeah, first time. Yeah, it was play. funny. Yeah, and it was kind of a, it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek sort of conversation. People- yeah. I- Sorry, go, yeah, Michael. Go on. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say, it, it looked like uh, it was taken a bit out of uh, context. Mm. And um, even uh, Ian Miles Chong, who was uh, putting up a Twitter um, about game journalists are incredibly bad at video games, and then he himself is one. I feel like there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek with that, right? Um, it's like, uh, if he's serious, then, well, it's just an opinion. But, um, like, it, like my take of it was that uh, he's just poking fun of uh, at this situation as well. But then suddenly the comments came in, and it, it's suddenly a division um, mm-hmm. between two sides. I was like, oh, okay, this kind of got out of hand. As, um. as far as journalists go, and I mean, especially the kind of journalism we do, I mean, we, we don't do reviews specifically specifically because we don't think we have, you know, the the experience or skill set to be making calls like that on whether this game is, is good, etc. We more like to, as, as people who listen to the show will know, we do this topical, almost cultural discussions around gaming. And I don't think my ability to play games feeds my ability to discuss them at all. Even even though I don't think I'm a bad gamer, I mean I suck at some games for sure. But like, funnily enough, they're usually the type of games that I don't play. Yeah, and there's a hundred million different types of games out there. Sure. You know, you know, people often say that you know, gaming is an extremely popular thing. Seventy percent of people play games regularly, but they may not all be the console games. They might be playing games on their phone, or they might be playing games online. Look, look or at other sports like as well. I mean, you've got. Let's say in Australia we've got AFL or f- yeah. football for our international listeners of yeah. any type. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You've got your commentators and you've got your blah, blah, blah. And there's different levels of experience and, and, and knowledge. Nobody expects a sports journalist, just a journalist, someone who's come through the ranks of training through to be a journalist, not an ex-footy player or whatever. Yep. No one expects them to don boots and bag some goals. The Dennis Cometti's of the world. Exactly. Like, you can be a good journey regardless of your flair or talent, I think, in yeah. regards to the actual skill set that they're discussing. Yeah, and I think, uh, the, I guess the final thing we'll kind of say on that is that I think that, uh, you know, there is plenty of different types of games and plenty of different types of players and, you know, uh, the audiences are all out there and one of the best things about the internet is that it allows audiences to find the sort of thing that they're really interested in and they can go and find the voice that speaks to them. I will say one more thing before we leave this yep, topic. Yep. I think a lot of the backlash from the whole thing is, a lot, like, the toxicity that comes with the gaming communities sometimes you get and i can understand it because like on the outside looking in you know this journalist journalists getting access to games and getting to play all these things that you know a lot of people are going to be jealous of mm-hmm. but you know jealousy or even envy is no reason to be toxic you know you, you might not agree with them or me but it doesn't give you know you any more right or place to attack them it's a very good point <laughs> Be mindful of what you say on the internet, kids. That too, yeah. (laughs) That's exactly right. It's going to stay there forever. Let's jump into our next topic, shall we? 
Did you know Pixel Sip is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the Pixel Sip website. Joining us today is Michael Chu. He's a designer uh, from Shadow Play Studios, and we're going to be talking all about his PAX Australia Indie Showcase selected uh, game projection. Now, Michael, uh, tell us a little bit about your game. We've, uh, if people haven't seen it, could you describe what it is? Okay, uh, certainly. Projection is a 2D shadow puppet platformer. It's going to be exploring different cultures, uh, specifically world heritage art from Indonesia, China, uh, Greece, Turkey, and England. Um, there's also some German shadow puppets in there. So we're trying to make sure that we're looking at uh, very real, authentic um, shadow puppets, and we're doing a lot of research into that. Um, but the actual mechanic of the game is about light manipulation. So if you are in a world of shadows and you walk on shadows, um, whoever controls the light basically controls the world um, because they can cast shadows uh, with this light, they can walk on those shadows, they can move objects with these shadows. Um, so everything about it is around this one mechanic. Uh, and so that plays throughout the entire game. So, yeah, no, I hope that's a good summary it's, um, of it. Yeah, it, uh, looking at the trailer, I think when I first started watching it, I'm like, oh, shadow puppets. And the first thing that jumped into my head was the Indonesian-style, uh, Javanese-style shadow puppets that they have. I remember watching a lot of those as, as a kid, seeing the actual presentations. Oh, um, good. And so I was like, oh, wow. And then at the end of the trailer, there's that specific sort of Indonesian style puppet at the end, which is really, really cool. And it, it I, I'm curious to know how you're kind of working in and uh, the shadow puppets from these other cultures and, and what sort of things have you learned about the similarities and I guess the differences between uh, how people, you know, uh, experience stories through yeah. light and shadow. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, okay, so, uh, well, the idea behind going into shadow puppets uh, came uh, from the main mechanic we started messing around with uh, light and then uh, my artist Yosha saw it and was like you know what that could work with shadow puppets um, and so from there it was like oh you know what let's do this and uh, we started off as you said with the Javanese Wayang Kulit um, is what they call it um, and the game was being made at a game jam so it was only in 48 hours I just did a lot of googling images um, and then just uh, randomly picking things not Puppet much research at that time yeah exactly yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but afterwards, when uh, we figured this is something that we want to work on, um, uh, I we went to visit a shadow puppeteer in Australia. Um, his name's Richard Bradshaw. He makes uh, shadow puppets for ABC, which is the uh, broadcast for kids, and uh, he does a lot of shadow puppets um, on TV shows and things like that. And it was uh, after speaking to him, we got to see a lot of the shadow puppets that he'd made, how it's set up, what it looks like, um, what the uh, material is made out of, how they move, um, and things like that, how you can uh, work with uh, shadow puppets to try and make it as authentic as possible. And what he did was he explained that it started off in Chinese and uh, Indonesian roots and so that if we're going to make a game which explores these cultures we should start off with uh, uh, Indonesia and China and then start moving gradually to the other countries and so at that point it's uh, when we started to explore and read up on them. Uh, in terms of similarities, uh, well they're all 2D, um, but in general like uh, something that we want to maintain throughout all of them is that you can see the rods 
um, which are holding them up. Mm -hmm. um, that every time they turn around, you see that's like a piece of paper that's being flipped. Uh, all sorts of things to try and remind you of that. Um, and also music as well is a very important part to this. Uh, quite often uh, when they're doing a shadow puppet show, you can't have a whole orchestra um, there for you. And even times it's just silent. Um, and so we want to draw inspiration uh, from that as well, uh, making sure that we use the authentic instruments that were there um, and try and reflect that uh, within the game as well. I'm curious, Michael, when you're designing the, the characters in the game, did you draw any, like, uh, I guess, how's the way to say this? Basically, I want to know, did you make the puppets in game, like, as real or as close to uh, how they would be in real life? Or did you kind of cut a few corners and, and, and use some trickery of, of digital magic? Okay. Um, right. Uh, so when, when, we, uh, when we were making them, uh, at the time I was just doing something really quick, but... Uh, they are very much based on the real shadow puppets. So, uh, as I mentioned, Richard Bradshaw showed us and uh, even gave us um, some shadow puppets to get to learn how they work. And so, if you look closely at the Indonesian shadow puppets, you'll see that their legs don't actually move, only their arms. Uh, and we want to try and keep that as uh, close to the real shadow puppet as possible. Um, we uh, went to showcase the game at Riverside Theatre at one stage, um, not only because it was mixing games and art, except games are art, um, what was uh, interesting was that they thought it was uh, an actual shadow puppet as well. And we're like, no, no, um, we, we just drew pictures and models um, and, and made it like that. Uh, so we try and uh, try to be as close to the source material as possible. Uh, you might see a little bit of trickery. Mm -hmm. um, the main character, Greta, might have a little bit more movement than uh, she should possibly actually have. Um, but, but everyone else, uh, especially the, um, uh, when we're exploring different cultures, uh, we definitely want to try and keep that as close to the real um, thing as possible. Was it really validating to have people think that you actually made real shadow puppets? Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. That was amazing um, to hear that kind of feedback. I was like, oh, well, haha, it's not actually. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, uh, we'll, we'll see if we can trick more people um, with, with, with our game. So, you've been working on this game for a little while. You said you made it in sort of 48 hours initially in a game jam. Scott actually had the opportunity to play it a, a while ago now. And, I did, yeah. And I guess we wanted to see sort of at that point where, where Scott would have played it. What, what sort of things did you remember from the actual game, Scott? Well, I, as, as it's still kind of the case, it's the beautiful artwork um, and the lead character. What was her name? Sorry there, Michael. Greta. It's got some very much uh, Prismo from Adventure Time inspired things for me going on there. Um, but but well, I was wondering, because I know that this is the second kind of um, build of the game. Originally, I think it was it was in Game Maker and you've moved to Unity. Yep. So, how yep. much uh, in the time that I played it, and I'm not exactly sure when it was. I'm sure you have a better idea of when it was sent over for a play up uh, at SK. Um, <laughs> but in the time, how much has changed and what's changed? Yeah. All right. Uh, so, in the time that you played it, yeah, it was still made in Game Maker. Um so it was very rough, and uh, we managed to get an art style down. Uh, but you might have noticed things like the shadows were only being cast on boxes, um, like very 
flat sort of uh, shapes. Mm. Um, also, uh, only um, the main character was really being affected by the light. Um, so since changing to Unity, um, not only are we now dynamically working with uh, all sorts of objects, um, we've got a lot more physics happening in there. So there's a lot more puzzles based around, say, uh, dropping a box down a slope that you've created with shadows uh, or pushing a door open um, using shadows again. And so those uh, we couldn't do before uh, in Game Maker. I'm sure there's a way to be able to do that. Uh, but when I was making it, uh, it was starting to, uh, we were starting to get a lot of problems and uh, changing to Unity meant uh, a, a number of things. Also, like it was easier to put it onto consoles and things like that. But uh, we were able to mess around with a lot more um, physics-based uh, puzzles. Uh, and on top of that as well, uh, since you've played it, uh, we've had a overhaul of the story, um, how how the game uh, works. It's still, it's still a puzzle platformer, um, but there's a lot more interactions, a lot more story points, so just progression in general, um, and hopefully players will get to see that at PAX. Fantastic. What was the process like of, of, of applying for, for PAX for the showcase and then finding out that you were actually selected as one of the sort of flagship games of the convention? Oh, uh, yeah, no, it, it's very exciting uh, to be you known as a flagship game. Uh, <laughs> but uh, So we made a submission uh, and we weren't really sure how it would go. Uh, we were always excited um, to think about it, uh, but it wasn't that uh, it wasn't submitting itself wasn't that uh, difficult. Uh, it was more of a surprise when uh, we got the email back. Uh, I was actually in Seattle for Casual Connect, um, and I I didn't have internet at the time over there, and so I I when I was at the hotel, I'm suddenly getting call. We need to get information back uh, about. PAX, they want a response quick. Like, what? What's this about PAX? <laughs> and then, uh, like, some, like Ben from Blowfish Studios, um, who's now a publisher, was like, you got in. I was like, oh, wow, awesome. <laughs> so we got really excited at that point. Um, high fives around and things like that. Best trip ever. So what are you doing to kind of, uh, you know, build it out before people get hands on it sort of next month? Yeah, very soon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Um, Sorry. So <laughs> No pressure or anything. Yeah, no. Uh, we are we are trying very hard to get as uh, much in. Uh, like we've got a build for pack, so there's not going to be any more changes to that. Uh, but we have a deadline um, by the end of this year uh, to try and finish everything so that we can release for next year. Uh, so there's going to be a lot more playtesting that's going to be involved so that we know uh, what will work and what doesn't work. Because as part of making a story, um, we have to have uh, a dramatic arc, um, a sort of a climax towards the end. And so we need to make sure that that payoff works um, so that when players get through it, um, they feel satisfied by the end. And so while there won't be any too, like any great additions into the game at PAX, uh, we will be uh, working hard on it. And for, for that note, um, what you'll play at PAX, hopefully you'll see her first foray into the Javanese culture uh, you'll get to play some of the early puzzles in there. We haven't put all of them in. Uh, and you'll maybe fight a boss um, inside of that one as well. 
Michael, you've, you know, you've been working on this game for a little while and, you know, I'm just sort of curious about now you're kind of adding a few extra people to the team to kind of uh, bolster out uh, the, the progress of the game. How many people have been working on this and, and you know, what's it like working in, in, in a team? Like of that size, and then adding more people to it mm. close to the end, I guess, mm. or maybe not close to the end, oh. but you know, close to the public display. Right. Yeah. Um. So, Blowfish Studios just came on very recently, but uh, most of the time it's been three um, of us working on it. Uh, myself as a designer, Yosha as an artist, and Brian as a programmer. Uh, and so initially, uh, I think it was two and a half to even three years ago. Now it was um, when it was uh, conceptualized at uh, at a game jam. Uh, uh, the theme was about so close, uh, and so that's where the lights um, came in about moving a light um, far and close. Uh, and that was just me by myself working on the game. During that time, I was making a game a week, um, so I made about sixty games throughout the year, and then. At the game jam after that, which was the global game jam, mm -hmm. uh, I made a prototype. And this is when Yosha came on board. Um, and that was a great boon because then he started coming up with a whole lot of ideas, assets, uh, and things like that. Uh, and so the two of us were working hard on it. Um, and that's when I hit a limitation on Game Maker, which is when I introduced the third um, party to our team to help me convert it into Unity. Um, and so then, since then, it's been the three of us, and uh, we went quiet for a little while um, as we were shifting it from uh, Game Maker into Unity. Uh, and that process has been, uh, I, like, it's been necessary. I, I like uh, being able to work alone, but then being able to work with people, a, it's a lot more fun um, because it's not just you by yourself all the time. Uh, but it's also meant that I have someone that I can call on um, and use their expertise as well. Uh, so it's been it's been great to have uh, these guys come on board. Now you mentioned the change to Unity again, and before you did say um, that one of the advantages of that is that you can create it for or put it onto many more platforms. Uh, what do you plan to release it on? All right. So first of all, we're putting it onto Steam, and then onto some consoles. I won't say exactly which ones. Uh, cool. I'm not sure yet. Um, but I think we'll have a reveal at PAX um, and a few giveaways um, that, on consoles as well. So we'll see. Um, that's that great. Uh, and we mentioned it before, but the the game journey. I, I feel like this could be you know a similar kind of success for as, as that. I think it's you know in the same kind of vein as far as. Uh, you know the artistic and the beauty and the puzzle. Is it a? Oh, thank you. Is it a kind of a chilled game, or is it? A, is there a stressful moment? Is it challenging? Like, what does it feel like to play? Well, uh, what's interesting about the light mechanics is because they're very organic. You can move the lights and try and solve puzzles in your own way. Uh, we tried to make it a bit more, uh, well, not exactly relaxed, but you shouldn't have to do any very dexterity heavy. Uh, gameplay inputs so you don't have to run jump and move the light at the same time you should be able to uh, look at a puzzle stop think about where the light should go and then be able to solve it that said um, i have seen people speed run the game uh, <laughs> i have like jumping through a whole lot of loops um and i'm okay with that i do that myself um and it's like if you can speed run it then sure uh, and it's because, yeah, the light, it, it, it can go to wherever you want. And I'm still finding out ways of completing puzzles that um, people are coming up with. Um, sometimes I'm just like, oh, dang it. But it's also really cool um, to see what people are coming up with. 
now people can come and uh, you know break your game in multiple different ways and find different solutions yeah, to your thing. We've got a good, uh, got a good history of yeah. that. at Pax Australia. Look, you know we've got a good history of breaking games, so we're happy yep. to come down at Pax Australia and break it for Give you. Bash for you. Um, uh, Michael, if people want to find out a bit more about it in, ahead of PAX or if they're not able to go along, where's the best place for them to find out some more information? Yep. Uh, go to www.shadowplaystudios.com. Uh, you can find out uh, all the information about it from there. You can also follow us on Twitter. Um, we haven't got a handle for it, but we do use hashtag projection game. Uh, and so you'll be finding out any information on that. We do like to try and release information on Screenshot Saturdays uh, so you can keep updated on those days. And if people want to give you a follow, you are you posting stuff on your own account? Is that the? Uh, normally it's Yosha. I, I, I leave the Twitter. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very great with um, Twitter. It, it should be easy by now. Um, but yeah, no, certainly um, any responses to this um, that Yosha makes, which is at Hoza. Yeah, double uh, A I'm, at the end. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, we made that mistake and, before. Uh, uh, mine, yeah, mine is at misc08. Anything I say is important, so make sure you reply to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, uh, so you can definitely follow us on Twitter. Well, look, uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to come down and give it a go at PAX um, Australia next month. Um, we'll be sticking up links to... Uh, videos of the game all and you the can things. see all the great screenshots you can see Yosha's uh, phenomenal artwork he's a real star that guy um, thank you very much to uh, Murdoch University School of Arts for sponsoring the show uh, they help us make this show every week so it's really helpful for them to, to do that so we really appreciate Cheers. it Cheers um, you can find links to everything on our website which is www.pixelsift.com.au Scott now we've got some previous episodes we're almost about to hit 80 next week that's it the big 8-0 8-0 two years of, of the podcast yep. um, where can people go if they want to listen to some of our Look, old people, stuff you can go to facebook.com forward slash pixelsift twitter.com forward slash pixelsift twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift and youtube.com forward slash pixelsift au pistol shrimp yeah, yeah it's starting to get a bit slurry there sorry uh, we've also uh, on, on social media Pixel Sift is the account. You'll be able to find it there. Yeah. Uh, we are now officially live video streaming out on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook live channels. So big shouts out if you've been watching on one of those. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you've if got a, a moment, we'd love a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice. That's it. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. We're uh, looking forward to playing your game at uh, PAX this year. And congratulations for being selected. Oh, thank you very much. Cheers, Michael. See you then. Later. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.